Our This Week in XR podcast is sponsored by our friends at Sapper, the world's leading augmented reality platform and creative studio. With over 11 years of experience working with the world's biggest brands through Zapper Creative Studio. Zapper also has an award-winning web AR platform, Zapworks, that lets you create your own mobile AR magic. Finally, check out their Zap Box, the most affordable mixed reality headset on the planet. Start creating AR over at zap.works or talk to them about your next AR project at zapper.com. Morning, everybody. I'm Charlie Fink here with Ted Shilowitz and Roni Abovitz. It's February 3rd, 2022, and it's This Week in XR. Good morning, gentlemen. Morning. So it's like... Uh, you know, very hard to cover tech, in particular this category, without feeling like you're just covering meta. You know, mm -hmm. they're like the guys who are generating news every week. And of course, this week they reported earnings, which always uh, generates a lot of excitement, whether it's good or it's bad. Uh, earnings kind of a mixed bag, um, not terrible. Growth is back on track and they promised uh, they still got lots of cash. So they promised a stock buyback. Uh, and as a result, the stock shot up 20%, mm -hmm. uh, which is pretty dramatic. Here's the interesting part. You know, first, first of all, as opposed to previous calls, the metaverse, not much of a focus. Now, that may be because sales are slowing 17% less than last year. Uh, these are for VR headsets mm -hmm. and accessories. And uh, the company expects to have a similar size loss next year. Um, nonetheless, the market seems not to be too focused on that right now and uh, has really rewarded them. They, they had other good news, you know, um, you know, the, the ridiculous lawsuit that we ridiculed uh, from <laughs> about the acquisition for within looks like it's going away. Yeah. My As friend's very happy. He's one of the founders. So he's. Yeah. he's oh, yeah. Chris Milk. Yeah. Well deserved, Chris Milk. That company has been around since 2016. Chris was a pioneer in 3D uh, or 360 video. Uh, he founded Within to basically produce and distribute 3D videos, and then 3D videos kind of went away. And he, you know, has been scrambling and had to test himself as a real entrepreneur, and uh, has succeeded with with uh, turning Supernatural into a monster hit. But they made it work, and it, he deserves, you know, the exits and all of that. <laughs> I'm I'm curious if you guys think that within the halls of Meta, the artist formerly known as Facebook. Um, there were a number of discussions that said, maybe we need to focus back on being Facebook again and let the meta part of it naturally occur as opposed to sort of trying to artificially force it into people's ecosystem and people's use case. And that somehow seeped out into their delivery of you know, the, the age of efficiency, the age of getting back to their knitting, at least that was kind of my read on it was that this is still an important part of their strategy, but they realized they cannot force things into existence. And maybe it just took enough people talking to the levels at the, the highest peaks there that said, you guys are just doing this wrong. It's not like that you're doing it all wrong. You're just doing this part of it wrong. Uh, I'm just curious if you agree. Ted, uh, here, here's what I heard. I talked to a number of investor friends this week about it. Yeah. Uh, big institutional investors who some of them are the kind of people that have like nice holdings in Meta. Um, the, the thing that they relayed back to me was like Mark 
uh, Mark Zuckerberg got the memo from Wall Street and the mm -hmm. investor relations communication engine is turned on. Like Mark probably used the word and others might have used the word efficiency. I don't yes. know, like time. <laughs> Somebody actually counted an article. So I think you have to be very careful though. Don't confuse IR and Markham engine in full swing, which placates Wall Street with Mark still going to do what he wants to do. Yeah. He's just going to talk about it less, yeah. have much better PR and no more like tiny little Mark, no legs, walking around kind of yeah. all of that, like the whole communication strategy, all that, like make that better. But they're still going to spend the money and he's still going all at it. They're just communicating. Right. And I think that's smart. I think efficiency a lot. And they fired people. And so I think there's like placating the volcano and the Marcom and IR, yeah. but is there real functional operational change? Like they're well, they did. I mean, they did something else this week, which was they cut Echo Arena, which was mm -hmm. a big free multiplayer game. I don't know if you're uh, familiar with it. It was sort of simulated yes. zero G rav. It was a zero gravity version of water polo, uh, and very popular and free. It was made by Zero Gravity Games, which they acquired two years ago, uh, and you know they just cut it loose. They didn't try to turn it into pay. They just cut it loose and said, zero gravity, we've got for-profit projects for you. Right. Yeah. So it was, I don't know if you remember, Zuck said it was his favorite game on the Quest. It was, came from the original Rift. Mm -hmm. Yeah, interesting times. Yeah, they dropped the price of their shitty pro headset. So I'm sure that also, you know, shows that he's, as Roni said last week, I thought this was very insightful, Roni, and several people mentioned it to me. It's just bodies being thrown into the volcano to praise the gods of Wall Street. But, and it's worked. Like, I mean, this is the, the sad part is it worked and Wall Street functionally responded back a week after our discussion about it. And yes, the the the, the Wall Street folks are appeased. Yeah, yeah. Because humans and investors at, at their heart are humans, right? They have to react to something. If you give them nothing to react to, they'll react negatively. If you give them something to react to that feels like it's heading in the right right direction to your point regardless of whether it's really heading in the right direction or if it's just a marketing blush on top of that they're going to react and they're going to react somewhat positively and move the market so it's interesting yeah so uh otherwise in the news uh samsung has a huge event in san francisco called unpacked yeah and the sort of featured event at unpacked was uh google and qualcomm joined them on stage to announce that they're building an ar device together and what's more, I guess, Meta and Google are also involved. So it's generated, I mean, that is a pretty interesting announcement. And they didn't give any other details. No details. That was the thing that was so weird. Exciting They're all and <laughs> It was exciting and frustrating all at the same time. It's like, okay, well, there's a lot of freaking out about here. Apple. I mean, everyone's freaking out about Apple and what Apple could do to all of them. So they're like, let's all join hands. In this like Red Rover, Red Rover, come over kind of thing, like we did right. as kids. I'm like, if we all hold hands together, Apple can't steamroll us. I, I that's that's what I heard. Yeah, I mean, yeah. I think. Uh, so let me just check here to see if we've got uh, Avi ready to come in. Meanwhile, uh, other stories. Oh, well, here's one thing about the Apple headset uh, that I you don't want to bring up. I mean, it's it's devolving in a way to a quest two like device with a better form factor and more outward facing cameras right but this is going to be a fully occluded what they're calling a mixed reality headset this is no longer there's no uh see-through aspect it's all pass-through 
Do we know that's true? I mean, this is all like such noise. Like, do we really know any of this is true, though? I, uh, I have no inside source inside the company. You know, I talk to people like uh, Avi, who we're bringing on in a moment, uh, but I have no inside Apple insight. Full disclosure, you guys have more. For those of you listening, Roni is just shaking his head and shrugging. <laughs> I, ju I just, there's so much noise. Here's Avi. <laughs> Let's get the video going. All right. Hey, Hello. welcome. Good to see you. Morning, Avi. Nice to see you again. So, uh, this is Ari Barzif. He's a technology consultant, inventor, designer, advisor, and he most recently co-founded and leads the nonprofit XR Guild. Uh, previously, famously co-founded Keyhole, became Google Earth. He co-invented the HoloLens uh, and helped design Amazon Echo Frames. Most recently, he's been working on top secret projects for everybody's favorite company, Apple. And of course, we were just speculating about that very question, uh, which is the last thing you wanted to talk about. Avi, how are you? I'm doing well. Yeah, I should clarify, I left, I left Apple in 2019. So I'm not I'm not still working for them, but but oh, that, was, okay. that was fairly recent. Absolutely. And you guys Good. all know each other. We, we all know each other. We've all met. Uh, it's great to see you guys. Uh, thanks for inviting me. I, I was just telling the guys before, uh, during the introduction, how much I enjoy your writing. Uh, you know, your thought leadership on the topic of XR. Um, I, I've learned a lot from it, and uh, and I often assign them to my students. So <laughs> uh, <laughs> That's you. good to hear. Thanks. I appreciate that. Uh, you do a great job of making it accessible, which is what I'm always looking for because it's um, at times it seems like we're just talking to ourselves. Yeah, and and look, that's you know I've had a lot of practice at that. I you know most recently I spend a considerable amount of time talking to investors, trying to explain this stuff to them so that they know you know when is the right time to come in and invest. And before that, I spent a lot of time talking to executives. Uh, and designers, a lot of designers hadn't had experience in the space before. And so a lot of the a lot of the job, you know, my, most of my job is prototyping, but a lot of the job is communication and trying to help people understand what's real and what's not real. And, and as you know, there's been a lot of not real, uh, especially the last couple of years, there's been a lot of not real going around. And when people finally see the, the 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 sort of the state of the snake oil they're not as happy as as they were with the hype so though there's a lot of real stuff don't get me wrong there's plenty of really good things out there but not always things that the people are hyping so, so to, for our listeners give them an example of what you're talking about when you say not real versus real give them some hmm. some concrete pieces of the puzzle that you would say this is not real and this is yeah. real that's what i'm curious to all right Great, great example is, uh, so I'm, uh, full disclosure, I'm, I'm an advisor and angel investor to a company called Tilt5, which is making a lightweight AR headset that is really cheap. Anybody could pretty much afford it at this point. Yeah, we've had Jerry on the show a couple of times. So we like it. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. Che cheaper cheaper than an Xbox or a PlayStation uh, and works today out of the box. It's it's just there. It works. And it's got, you know, it's it got runs, It runs off a gaming PC, though. It's more like a tethered VR headset in that respect. It'll, Ultimately, we'll run off any device you have. So it'll run off, you know, it'll run, ultimately run off an Android phone. It'll ultimately run off an iPhone. It already runs off of uh, Steam 
deck. Um, and initially, yes, it's it's tethered to a PC, which is not the ultimate vision of the thing. But but ideally, it uses whatever hardware you have, so you don't have to buy an additional computer. That's the, that's the goal. So. Um, so it, putting aside the computer, it's still cheaper than almost anything out there. And, um, and it works today and it's pretty much, you know, because of the trade-offs that they've made, this is important. You have to make trade-offs in order to ship something. You can't, there's no magic yet. So you have to be able to say, okay, the trade-off they made is that you are today tethered to a PC, soon mobile, and you're also tethered to a table in a sense, because you need this retroreflective surface on the table. And so it's not portable. It's not the everyday, all day wearable glasses. They know that, uh, but it solves this problem and it's incredibly good for what it does. Amazingly, the company on almost no money, the company has been able to build something really impressive. Um, and so they haven't overhyped it. If anything, they've underhyped it. And you compare that to what Meta has shown, which is a vision of the future that's 10 years out and may not even be the future everybody wants that they're showing. Mm -hmm. it's, a, it's, a, it's a realization of, of the future as depicted in some books, right? Books I liked, but, but those well, books- Well, and, and they made an hour and a half movie when they changed their name and gave us lots of you know, computer graphic illustrations of what they were talking about. Exactly, exactly. So that's, that's a good example of- of the hype that's not ready yet. And I think they probably knew that it wasn't ready yet, but they wanted everybody to line up behind them as, as the thought leaders. And I think, I think they flubbed it. I think they yeah. flubbed it because they showed us things that not everybody was excited about. And then, and then the real version of the things they showed, even fewer people were excited about. Not that there's no, but there's lots of people who like Horizon. Don't get me wrong. It's got users. It's got people who like it. It's just like, it, like Second Life, it's a limited appeal it doesn't appeal to everybody so the people who like it like it that's fine it should exist but it's not the thing where two billion people are going to show up uh and hang out i think there there are dramatic changes ahead for horizon first it's it's coming to the web which is really going to change things it's going to allow anyone with a browser to get in which is a, a fairly new and revolutionary idea uh, yep. you know, no app, no barrier, you know, you can go freely from, you know, the web to, you know, their social world. So if they can pull that off, that would dramatically, and they, they're going to allow outside game engines to bring content into uh, their building tool, which again, right. you know, they would, uh, you know, they, so, and they also have the start of a virtual economy. So uh, e even though it's more similar to Fortnite, right, where you're just paying them. <laughs> but yeah. it's 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 something right it's transactions that that you know the problem with alt space was right there was they could never monetize it there's absolutely right. no business model there uh so with for something which we all know is hugely expensive um wanted to go back to something we were talking about right before you came in uh which mm -hmm. is what you know the we've been talking about the apple headset talking about something that's overhyped and may not be what everybody thinks or wants it to be and i said just based on what i'm reading and again no inside insight into apple at all i have no ted and roni have friends who work there they work directly with the company i have zero so my perception at the moment being in the middle of the hype uh, is that we are now talking about a fully occluded VR headset that has a lot of outward facing cameras and can do a lot of mixed reality things, right? The Quest, you know, Pro, lots of outward facing cameras, no applications. So basically you're just watching um, the same Quest 2 experiences with a slightly better balanced headset. 
uh, that cost four times more. Well, and I think an important thing to note is that the hype is not coming from Apple. The hype is coming from the anti-Apple, from the bizarro world where everybody else wants to talk about this thing that Apple refuses to talk about, uh, to the point of like it, almost insanity, the amount of press that Apple and noise that Apple is making by actively attempting to make no noise. It's it's sort of fascinating. So Avi, you must have to that's, on that. That's the part that I can talk about. So so I have, you know, I have to say that I, I am, I am under NDA with with Apple. Therefore, I can neither confirm nor deny. It's my official required statement. I can neither confirm nor deny any unannounced products. It's it's a boring statement and it's intentionally boring. Uh, and I apologize that I can't, I can't, you know, say any more than that. Um, so, but what I can say is about the way Apple works in general. And 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 you're exactly right that they are really good at at driving the narrative that they want. So that any any new product launch and looking at all the past product launches they've been very careful they they don't generally want to overhype anything because that leads to disappointment right you if you overhype something before you launch it everybody's like oh that's it then you actually create negative sentiment you don't want that um underhyping it uh before launch is, is is a good way actually to build anticipation for something um and you know there's, you don't have to do much work because every apple product since the iphone has been hugely anticipated even when it isn't an overnight success right the watch was not an overnight success it took a while to build an audience for that and even the ipad uh there were a lot of people including me who said it's just a big iphone oh why would i need that and i have like five of them at home now so you know clearly i i, I didn't totally understand the impact that that device was going to have on me and my kids especially um, and I think the, the goal for any new product launch, not specifically about, about the one you're, you're speculating about, is to be able to come in and put on a great show and have people like it and have people talk about it and have people go, I'm not sure why I would use that yet, it's, but I don't know if I need it yet. It's okay. I know I'm not going to say I never need it, but I'm not sure yet. I'll check it out. I'll go to the store. I'll play with it. I'll try it. Uh, and if, 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 it, if it meets my needs and my friends have bought it and my coworkers have bought it and everybody likes it, at that point, you know, I'll, I'll buy in. So, so any new product that they build is, is like this, where it may only sell, a million is a lot, but for Apple, it's not. It may only sell a million units in the first year, um, but it gets to a billion by, by the fourth or fifth generation. And that's the scale the company has. But there's a responsibility that comes with that, which is, which is to not overhype it and not not say that it's good for things that it's not good for, right? The things that that any new product that Apple launches will be magical for will be things that they're sure, uh, they're sure that people will get value from uh, because, because they've seen it, because they've tried it. And it isn't just like, we hope you'll do this or we hope someone else will come in and figure out what it's good for. That They always know when they have a new product, what it is. And in the case of the watch, this is, is a good analogy what it's good for today isn't what it was necessarily good for when it launched, right? They they had all these aspirations of it being a health device, but not everything was shippable up front. So not all the health features shipped in version one of the watch. But today, it can tell you if you're having a heart attack, right? So so that kind of a feature might have to wait for the future of the watch because it's hard. It's hard to do. It may be too expensive or too power hungry or whatever. So, but But the watch had really good set of features on day one. They just weren't features that everybody wanted. They were features that people who like to keep up with their with their um, messages that always want to know what their messages are, or you know, want to be able to run small apps. They were good for what they did, but they weren't trying to be everything to everybody, right? And I think that's that's the secret to success in a, in a place like this is is don't overpromise, 
um, and, but, but at the same time, deliver something that has real value to people. And I think Apple has consistently, since the Newton, has consistently done that. Uh, that, was, that was one notable uh, flub, I think, that was too early. You know, it's um, there. There are a couple of other trends that we're tracking. Um, you were at CES, yes, or at least read the coverage. No, I was not, no. So uh, virtually, so it, I was there. Yeah. It seems like this year may not be. You know, talk about devices evolving, and you know, you sort of track this history uh, in your own work, right? We started with the audio smart glasses, and you know, they were lacking a display, and even later iterations of the more elegant iterations, Bose frames, the you know, uh, Ray-Ban stories from Meta, um, you know, they started to have a better form factor, and but they're missing a display. And so it seems like we're about to get the display. Now, the display is more like the display you would get on an enterprise device that's giving you work instructions. It's just a screen reflector of whatever happens to be on the screen of your smartphone. But 60% of our time on smartphones is spent consuming media. So that's, you know, watching YouTube or other kinds of content or, uh, you know, listening to music and so forth. So uh, all of that now can be in a heads up display. So great for people who are working in public places. You could also see because the display, the virtual display is so large, you could see people in Starbucks with, you know, a virtual keypad type typing yeah. away uh, and looking straight up into the air. So it seems like that's a trend and and one that's cut. Kind of, so, so it's sort of gradually gone from a listening device to a seeing device. It's a little translucent so you can wear it in public and not be, um, vulner feel vulnerable. And then of course it, so now it has a display and we're like, oh, well, the display is not really AR. It's just a display. And so, you know, that's the next step. Yeah, look, those things are already hitting the market in, in, for sports in a big way, right? Sports is, is not convenient when you're riding your bike to have to go take out your phone or even a watch is not the right form factor. So a heads up display like that, which is not necessarily tracking the world, but giving you your vital stats. That's, that's incredibly useful today. And those devices are, are on the market, hitting the market in a way that you wouldn't know that somebody's even wearing it. They're, they're small enough, you know, the display might fit in the corner of the glasses and give you a really good, not AR experience. No, I'm talking about the next, I, I, I'm talking about something that can do that, but whose principal yeah. purpose is to put a 130 inch screen seem to be six feet away from you. Well, right. Charlie's- I, I get it. For movies, there's a, there's a whole bunch of other features that come up that I think are interesting, but I, I, I worry a little bit. I think there's a couple of things that hold it back. And, and just going back to the echo frames that you, you alluded to, just remember the history of this from, from my perspective is I'd worked on HoloLens for the first almost year of its life, right? I left the project for, for reasons we don't have to get into, but, but more, you know, more managerial uh, relation kind of issues. Um, but I was a fan of the pro project, but I also thought that's one way to solve it. Start at the high end, add all the cameras, all the CPU in a giant, you know, unit that has everything. That's, that's a legit way to start, but it's not the way to get to consumers. Consumers want to start with something they can wear every day. And so the idea with Echo Frames, and it wasn't strictly my idea too, I worked with Bob McParvez and really smart people who are at, used to be at Google or now at Amazon. And we, we figured let's start with something fashionable that people will wear and then add technology. So starting at the accessible dimension and then adding more and more of what fits. So what fit in version one is audio. And so they turned into a decent pair of Alexa glasses. 
Um, and maybe with the addition of, of cameras, if they decide to add that in the future, then those glasses can help you understand the world around you and be assistive in some way. And then you can add a display. Display is maybe the third thing you would add um, because audio is actually a pretty good way to present information when you're out and about in the world. When you're doing things and you're busy, the audio channel is incredibly convenient to overlay on top of your life instead of interrupting what you're doing. And the visual is still better for things that require more attention, like a movie, right? Like, as you're saying. And so I think that still takes a little longer. The, the waveguides, are, to your point though, the waveguides are getting there. The, the Loomis, the new Loomis is, is, is pretty amazing. There are other companies in the same category that are getting 60, 70 degree fields of view. And that's, that's pretty usable. Not for all the things I would want to use air glasses for, but for, for like you said, for some of them. Um, the question is going to be, are they integrated into the world or did, did they take us out of it? That's the key user experience question. Is does the experience on those glasses add to my experience of the world or is it, is it different? And, and to add, I think you need tracking. I think you need the ability to understand the context of what I'm looking at, where I'm looking and what I'm doing to be able to, to augment my actual experience of, of the day versus give me something like a movie that takes me out of it. When I, and, and that's fine when I want it. It's just not all day long. Avi, question for you. My, my, my theory, which evolved through my, my own experience is that from the consumer side that you're talking about, my sense is uh, the, the current consumer buyer just has no tolerance for anything but like the best. And what I mean by that is we have amazing tablets. We have a great watch. We, our phones have like, you know, millions of different things they could do. While we were moving to that, right, from, from like the mid 90s till, you know, maybe five, six years ago, we were more tolerant of like, I need a phone and a Palm Pilot and this, all these other gadgets. And we were like, the consumer was more tolerant of like half measures or things on the way. Mm -hmm. And I think we're in that yeah. middle period, but because those other things exist, my take is people just want the thing at the end that doesn't have any of those compromises for, for mass consumer. I think there's a lot of like hobbyists, enthusiasts, pro use, segment use, enterprise use. I think there's a lot there. And I think that's where the market will be. But I just want to get your take because I thought a lot about what you said with the Echo, right? We, we thought about that too, it magically, but it was like, yes, you can get foreign factor, but none of the stuff I want, or you get all the stuff you want, but it's bigger. And, and in the end, as a consumer, I just want it all at a crazy below price too, which yeah, no one yeah. is yet delivering, which I kind of, one, I was wondering, what do you think about that? And two, when do you think that actually is delivered? When do you think we no, finally get that holy grail synthesis device that unlocks, let's say a billion users? Uh, well, all right. Starting with that one, and it, you know, this is this is the 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 most common cop out in the industry is five to ten years. Uh, if you ever hear anybody say five to ten years, it means they don't know. Uh, and uh, the answer is I don't know. And 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 the the, re the reason why I would actually guess five years legitimately is because a lot of the technologies we need exist, but they're not efficient. They're not power efficient to go into a pair of glasses yet, as you I'm sure well know, uh, having built these. The, the key is, is, is really not even the size, it's the heat. The, the key problem that we have to solve is all of these algorithms take GPU or CPU, they all produce heat. That was reason for putting something on your waist is because you can put a bigger heat sink or a fan that you can't fit on the head. And there's no surface area on the glasses to dissipate the heat, right? It's very hard. Unless, you know, I'm hoping Metamaterials comes up with some clear lens that can dissipate heat away from your face, that would be magic. But, but it, heat is a huge problem. So, so on a phone, you can spend about 10 to 12 watts comfortably before you burn yourself and run out of batteries. Uh, but on a pair of glasses, you're talking one watt to a 10th of a watt or lower 
to run all day long. So we need massive improvements in, in the silicon process to get down to really low you know, sizes, nanometer less you know, sizes. And we need new algorithms that can run in silicon that maybe they're prototyped on a CPU or GPU today, but in the future need to run in an ASIC and then, and then dedicated SOC in order to keep the power down to the microwatts. So we're just not there yet. That's gonna take at least five years because you can look at the evolution of the mouse and say, well, these were once wired and then they had huge batteries and lasted a day. And now this battery, AAA battery in this thing lasts six months, right? So we will get there with the low power versions of everything, but people, th that's the saddest thing right now is people are putting the R&D into the wrong things. If you're gonna, you know, when I talk to companies, I'm like, put your R&D into low power solutions. That's where everybody's gonna need those. It's not even about the field of view right now. But the other thing I will say, the other thing that's holding back all day wearable glasses is actually the user experience, the, the input specifically, not just the output. And so the, the just like the smartphone reigns supreme, it's very hard to dislodge the smartphone because of how good it is, right? To your initial point, it's any, any new AR application has to be asked in the context of, why wouldn't I just do this on a smartphone? Isn't it better to just do it on a smartphone because there's billions of them out there and I can just launch a piece of software and don't have to sell hardware? That's easier, way simpler. So any good AR application has to answer that question, why is this better than a smartphone? And the same for any input device, it has to answer the question, why is this better than a mouse? Because the mouse is stuck around for 30, 40 years because it's, it's so easy. My hand rests on the desk. I don't get tired using the mouse. It's precise. It has all sorts of really good qualities to it, but it's not very portable. It doesn't work when I'm standing in line at Disney World you know, for a ride. I'm not going to bring my mouse with me. So we need something that is an acceptable gestural type interface that works everywhere. And the one that I'm most in love with that I think is the most magical is a combination of eye tracking and gestures. So this is something I've been advocating. The first HoloLens was supposed to have eye tracking. It did for a while. They cut it. It wasn't good enough. The second one had it, but it's still quite, at least that implementation is not good enough for, for, for what I'm talking about. But what you, what you really want ultimately is AR glasses that can understand what you're trying to do and help you and give you a way of inputting text or other, other you know, control data that you need in a really intuitive and socially acceptable way. So the uh, minority report, hands in the air going like this, no, not gonna happen because it's tiring. We're not gonna be standing there going like this all the time, but something where I just have to like rub my fingers together or tap, whatever. To me, that plus eye tracking is, is one of the most magical things that you can experience. And I think what we're really questing for now is what is that next great user experience? The interface, the input, and, and to some degree, the output. Hmm. Um, and and it, no, one's, no one's yet demonstrated that working in a way that everybody falls in love with and, and displaces the most. But I think that'll happen within the next five years, maybe even sooner. That's gonna be, that's gonna be one of the things we're all doing. Even your laptop will, will you know. And by the way, the, 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 the question on convergence, let me just address that really quick. This idea, why would we carry three devices around? If they're all good at different things, why would we have them? Well, for the same reason that I have a laptop and a tablet and a phone, they're, they're good at different things. And I'm willing to have, I don't carry all three around at the same time, unless I'm traveling, I might take all three. But if I'm going out, I'll take my phone. If I'm doing work, I'll use my laptop. And I think we're still in a period for the next five years where the devices are still customized to the traditional use cases. And the reason a laptop is the form factor that it is, is because it's gotta be big enough for a keyboard, right? The keyboard is the main input device and it's gotta be big enough for a trackpad or a mouse on the side. Those are the main input devices and the screen has got to be big enough. If you took away those requirements, didn't have a keyboard, didn't have a track bag, didn't need a screen, a laptop could be much smaller, 
And the mobile devices are also driven very much by their size and the form factor. Are they big enough so that my fat fingers can hit the different keys without making mistakes, right? One of the most important innovations on, on the smartphone was capacitive touch because the resistive touch that we started with was, was not good enough, wasn't terrible, but it wasn't good enough. And algorithms that allow me to predictively type without making mistakes, right? So I can actually use that tiny little software keyboard on the phone. Without those things, the phone would not have been as successful as it was, right? Those are really enabling technologies. AR needs the same kinds of solutions of how do I input text? How do I control my system? How do I talk to people in an intuitive way? Those are, those are the problems getting solved right now. AR needs AI. It does. And you know, it, one of the things I like to say is that AR is the best interface to AI. Everybody's enamored right now of textual interfaces and typing to, a, to, to AI, but that's not the way it's gonna end up. It's gonna end up like the holodeck, right? We're gonna be talking to the computer and telling it what we want. And, and it'll go even better than that because the holodeck would have been incredibly cumbersome in, in real life to have to build everything by, by describing it. No, I don't wanna have to literally say, put this chair here, put that table there, put this actor here. I wanna be able to be a director. I wanna be a movie level director and just give a script and a high level uh, direction to things. And the rest of it is just figured out. And if I don't like it, I tell it what to change. We're almost there. We're getting, we're a couple of years away from having AI understand our intentions well enough Right now, it's just mimicking. It's just copying what other people have done. But it needs to get to a, a place where it understands us individually. So, so if I say the word tree, it knows that I grew up in New York and I probably mean uh, a certain kind of tree, a, a small set of trees. And if somebody grew up in Malaysia, they probably mean a different kind of tree when they say tree. So it needs to understand the, the author well enough to be able to meet their needs and give them what they're really asking for without having to correct it all the time. Um, we're getting we're getting tan, uh, tantalizingly close to the vision that I wanted when I first started, which was give me my damn holodeck so I can tell stories. And and we're, we're building it all this time, and 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 it's getting closer, but we're not quite there yet. So um, pivoting all of your questions, I think I did. Well, that, I mean that I, was I, such I a great run; it's left us kind of speechless. I think. Uh, <laughs> so you know, the whole time I'm thinking I got to get this guy in front of my class. Uh, you know, because they're you're doing a great job at, at painting some pictures. Uh, let let me uh, sort of pivot to your work on the Hololens, uh, and I'm wondering. Obviously, you become like all of us, part of the uh, people who are watching the story unfold. Uh, it seems like it's in a perilous place. Yeah, I, I think I uh, you know this has happened at Microsoft before. Um, sometimes it works out. Sometimes it doesn't. Sometimes when you launch a product and it doesn't take off, you have this sort of 10 year uh, black mark on the idea. And everybody you bring the idea to will go, oh, we tried that, didn't work. That, I, I experienced that while at Microsoft and I, I hope that's not what's happening. I think, I think what's happening is that um, there was a certain dogma at Microsoft about what AMR should be. There, was, there were certain ideas that were, that, were, that were strongly held among certain people who are no longer there about what this needs to be. And my hope is that the new crop of people who are managing this are much more data-driven. They're much more driven by trying to understand the user experience and what people actually want and need, as opposed to a fixed idea of what this should be that, that doesn't change for six to 10 years. Um, and I think, I think that the openness that I'm seeing among the new set of leaders who are managing XR is encouraging because I, I think that that gives them room to make better decisions than have, than have been made. 
because they're not operating out of dogma, they're operating out of a business sense of trying to figure out what's the product we should bring to the customer, what do they really need? And I, I do feel that was lacking in a lot of what I saw in the past. The people were super smart and the people who were there are also super smart. The, some of the ones who got fired are super smart. And I hope they get rehired uh, elsewhere really quickly. Um, but I think that the, the so-called vision coming from the top was, was not the clearest vision. I think that, that, that could have been better and it could have been, um, it could have been more led by design and requirements that people had as opposed to taking an idea and trying to make it fit. Uh, and so I'm very hopeful for the future. Um, and there are a few companies who do this well, who do this right. Um, uh, historically, Apple has done this well and right is they, they don't ask a lot of people their opinions outside of the company, but they do a pretty good job of intuiting how consumers will feel and react to things about new products. And so I think any company who wants to be successful in a space uh, and the ones that I work with all do this. They all ask the question, what do our customers really want? What do they really need today? Uh, and so another good example of one is another company I advise called Campfire, right? And so they, uh, they essentially inherited some old tech that was from a former meta company uh, and were able to do what they- A former they company, they, the, the AR company that was first named meta. Oh, meta, yeah. Correct, <laughs> correct. Uh, that, that, that unfortunately that company ran out of money in trying to achieve a really grand vision. And they had some really good ideas, but their execution on those ideas was not uh, to, to the level I think it, it needed to be in order to, to get market share. They, 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 they had good ideas and I think they just needed a few more years maybe to polish them and more money to polish them, but they, they never quite got it to the point where everybody saw it and like, I have to have this product. But the core tech was good. The freeform, the freeform display that they, that they came up with, especially for the, the, the version that they never released uh, before, they, before they ran out of money was actually really good. And it's incredibly good for certain use cases. It's not good for walking around outdoors, um, but it's incredibly good for being in a room with other people and doing things like 3D design reviews where people are both in the room and not in the room. And, and so their product is not trying to reinvent everything. They're essentially making something you could describe as the keynote or PowerPoint of AR, which is, which is a, a business-based storytelling tool that lets you bring people in and show them your work and let them comment and let them take it apart and understand it. That's been the prime industrial use case since the beginning. That's been the one in everybody's marketing deck is, look, you can do a 3D design review. But what was always frustrating is the way they depicted the 3D design review was, I hand Roni an object, Roni hands me back the object, we turn it over, looks good, I guess we're done. But that's not what a real design review is. A real design review is blow it up, look inside, look at the cost of the components inspect one little part of it and decide, is that the right part? Who's responsible? Somebody needs to change this part because it's interfering with this other part. Um, real work has to happen in this space. And what Campfire is focused on is not reinventing the hardware, but making the hardware they have work really well for the use cases that the actual customers have. So I think they're doing pretty well in that regard. And it's a good model for how companies can succeed in, in, in XR today, right? Avni, a quick question on that. Like something like, I've, I've been tracking them, but like, Given where we all know something is going to drop from Apple and other players who are spending just many billions per quarter, not not per decade, but just billions per quarter, shouldn't someone like that just focus on the software, knowing that whatever hardware aspirations they have blow up in two to five years, but their software could be usable? You port that to Apple or whatever else is out there that ultimately gets wide adoption. Is it like I'm just using hardware to build my software, but I'm really a software company? Is that like, do you kind of see I think, that? I think that's what it is. 
Yeah, I, I think I think Campfire probably would describe themselves as a solutions company, and I don't. Th I think I think the latest time, if I understood it right, is they're not really selling the hardware. You license the system, and you get the hardware, and ideally, you get whatever is the best hardware of the day. So if something else better comes out, you'll get the system with that hardware. But I think one of the realizations is that businesses, um, you know, you know full well that capex versus opex, right? You have you have things you buy versus your routine expenses. And it's much easier, I think, for businesses to justify AR as an OPEX. And so, so essentially, it's, it's just another thing you pay for, another subscription you pay for every year, as opposed to investing in hardware that you're worried is going to become obsolete, right? So that's one of the reasons that businesses don't buy their own phones. They, they, they want their, their, their people to buy their own phones, but they'll maybe subsidize some of it, the plan maybe, you know, like, like you know, uh, they'll, maybe they'll pay for your internet, like, but, but you buy your own phone right now for most companies. And it's going to be a similar thing in the future. I think if, if companies offer their AR hardware as a service, they're probably going to have better traction because you know you're always going to get the latest, greatest hardware, wherever it comes from, right? You'll adapt. Um, in the case of Tilt 5, I think they are more of a hardware company. But because nobody's building hardware that's that cheap at that price, right? I mean, such a low price, they could be the Nintendo of AR and they don't want somebody else's hardware because everything else is going to be more expensive. Everything else is going to be overkill for what they're trying to do. So I think they do have a window of a few years, at least three, four years, probably five, where they don't have any competition at that price point for the use cases they're trying to do. But someday the all day wearable general purpose glasses come out and then everybody wants it. But I don't think that's in five years. I think I think everybody, everybody who's announced their product has essentially said, we're going with video see-through for now. And video see-through is fine. It gives you perfect blending of, as you guys know, perfect blending of the real world and the virtual world. You can control it, but you are seeing the world through a camera. It's not, it's not, the, the, the fidelity of the world is not the same as with your own eyes for most people. I guess if you had low vision, it could be a step up. But for most people with decent vision, even glasses, seeing the photons directly is a better experience uh, than having them captured and, and rebroadcast to us. You lose, you lose focal ability, you lose dynamic range, you lose all sorts of things, but it gives you the best blending that you could possibly have for AR. So it's a great, that kind of a device is a great way to prototype the future of AR that we want. I just wouldn't necessarily wear one on a Muni in San Francisco. Like that, to me, the acid <laughs> test of whether a device is all day wearable is, would you wear it on, on a bus, right? Uh, with all the different risks and, and with the video see-through, the risk is lower. Um, but I've, I've personally seen people's iPhones get ripped out of their hands at the stop on the station. So I don't think I'd be wearing one of those things if it cost you know, any money at all. I, I, I would not have it out uh, in public, probably, for most, for most uses. So, so that's, that part of it still weighs away. But, but this year is a great year for video, video pass-through AR. And, and people are finally getting the thing that I've been trying to articulate for years now, which is it's not AR versus VR. It's a spectrum. And some applications live better at the reality end of the spectrum, and some applications live better at the virtuality end of the spectrum. But it's really cool to be able to go back and forth. Um, I just have this philosophy of let's not all live in VR because the world needs help. We need to fix the world. So I don't want to escape it. I want to spend my time in the world and try to make it better. But that's a whole other topic. We'll have to have you back and talk about that because I think we've used up all our time. Uh, this was an amazing riff, Avi. Uh, I have really, just as I said at the beginning, learned a lot from your writing and I learned a lot today. So thank you for sharing that with us. Uh, parting shot, of course. Um, do you want to talk about the XR uh, Guild and, and what you're working yeah. on today and give us a good plug on that before we go out? Absolutely. Thank you. Uh, 
Yeah, so so this what I what I learned, you know, 30 years in the business and the last 15 years or so inside big companies, especially, uh, is that most people in big companies or, or working in, in XR, the metaverse in general, most people want to do good. They want to build products that people love, but yet we keep messing it up. And we keep messing it up, but partly because the bit the business models are not great, but mostly because people just don't have an education in what is ethical or what isn't. They don't teach us this in school. I didn't get this in college. So what we wanna be able to do is work with all the professionals in the field and provide information to help everybody make better decisions, to help everybody make decisions that will result in more ethical products, more trustworthy products, more responsible products. But we don't wanna just give it lip service. We wanna be actually very practical in the information we provide so that a PM at some big company on their lunch break could listen to a five minute explanation of some interesting topic. And at the end of the session, they'll go, you know, we really do need special accounts for kids because kids are going to get hurt with our system. And we can't just pretend kids don't use our hardware. So let's let's actually bite the bullet and make the special account for kids that protects them and gives the parents control. We want to help people with those kinds of decisions by providing information. So the people who are in the guild now are all volunteers. I'm a volunteer. But our ultimate goal is to raise the level of education around ethics and responsibility so everybody has the tools to, to make better products and to make their customers happier. And, and it's, a, it's a hard thing to do, but we'll get there. We have about 200 people now. We hope to get to 1,000 people by the end of this year. Uh, and we're trying to raise money. We're trying to, we do donations. We're trying to get some grants. The, the biggest thing holding this back, honestly, is just bandwidth. There's a number of people who are working on this and trying to create the communications needed by everybody. It takes time. It takes money. And that's what we're we're in the process of trying to uh, remedy now by raising money and adding people to the to the org. So people who are interested in joining this can just hit you up on the socials. Where should they go? They The first place to go is xrguild.org. So we have a, a website, we'll probably make a new version of the website soon, but the old one's pretty good. And it tells you about our Discord. It tells you how to become a member. There's places to donate. I would start there. If people want to follow me because I do talk about it, I'm, I'm off Twitter now, but I'm, I'm on LinkedIn still. And so you can, you know, it's just Avi Barzav uh, is my profile on LinkedIn. I'm the only, as far as I know, the only Avi Barzav on the whole internet. So I'm pretty <laughs> easy to find. Uh, right. And uh, <laughs> so follow me there, follow the XR Guild. We'll let you know what we're doing. And hopefully soon we'll be releasing more videos, and more helpers for people to be able to uh, to learn and grow in their own in their own career development. Great. Well, that's all the show we have today. Thank you, everybody, for listening. We will see you next week uh, and have a great weekend. Bye. Thank you.